This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I am your host, Dr. Kat. For the month of October, we are covering stories from people who have lived experience of dealing with pregnancy or infant loss. As usual, when we go over episodes that tend to be a little bit more difficult in terms of the content, I welcome you to decide for yourself if listening to this week's episode is available and up for you. And if it's not, then this episode will be available whenever you're ready. This week, we are talking with Jen Burgard. She's the mom of two living children and one who lives solely in her heart. She is a lost mom, a living mom, wife, founder, podcaster, director, and most proudly, survivor. Upon the death of her second child, she set out to fill a gap in accessibility to resources, support, and community for others who are also experiencing trauma. With a personal experience of her own and her newly formed network, she launched Haven as a service to grieving parents in and around her region. Today, Haven has touched each of the 50 states with their healing gifts, podcast content, and online grief workshops, with a goal to bring awareness and understanding not only to child loss, but our grief culture in general. She is creating and building conversations through her podcast called Landscape of Loss. Today, Jen is sharing with us parts of her personal story and what prompted her to start this program. And we go over various ways that trauma and PTSD can show up for people as a result of pregnancy loss and how that can look different from person to person. As you've maybe heard before, the saying trauma is in the eye of the beholder. That really means that your own personal experience, whether other people agree with it or not, can be traumatizing even if no one else sees it or understands why. And as you probably heard about on the podcast already, and as I'd like to reinforce, pregnancy loss is often called a traumatic type of loss. And through the program that Jen has started, she is really aiming to help and support pregnancy loss families, infant loss families, so that they know that they're not alone. On that note, let's hear from Jen. 
Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm um, especially grateful that you're sharing your story and we'll be able to share this during Pregnancy Infant Loss Awareness Month. So, you know, as part, I'm sure, as you know, through your work and your podcasts that more and more people are are learning about the depth of this kind of loss and the sensitivity that comes with it. Sensitivity meaning, you know, feeling this loss for a long time. And if not, yeah, uh, we'll get into that. But um, it's just especially important during this month when awareness is being raised to have stories like yours being shared. So yeah, I'd love for you to start wherever you're comfortable. Great. Well, thank you. And thanks for hosting this space, especially in in light of pregnancy and infant loss remembrance. Um, it's such an important topic and truly one I, I didn't really have any kind of idea or grasp on. Like you don't really. I mean, we all know about Breast Cancer Awareness Month, right, in October um, as well, which is incredibly amazing cause. And this is when it just, it wasn't on the radar for me. And so in 2016, I was pregnant with my second child, a little boy, a little brother to his big sister, who was two at the time, just about three. So I had my perfect little nuclear family, you know, all all keyed up, ready to go. And no issues in the pregnancy. And then at 39 weeks to the day, I was making breakfast for my daughter and I had just this strangest feeling and I sat down to just rest because, you know, you're tired, <laughs> 39 weeks, just sat down to rest and, and immediately felt better. But then a couple seconds passed and I looked to my husband and I said, oh my gosh, I think my water just broke. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, this is great. This is great. I just went into labor naturally on my own. This is what I've always wanted. It was fantastic. Um, it wasn't until I uh, quickly got up and went to the bathroom that I realized that it wasn't my water that broke and that I had lost uh, an incredible amount of blood. Mm-hmm. I passed out from lack of blood, I believe, and and maybe shock. Um, but when I woke up, my husband was there and my daughter was there and they were calling calling the hospital just to to kind of get an understanding of what was going on, what we should do. So we rushed in immediately and we got there. And after some check-in processes, uh, you know, they the doctor did decide to take me for an emergency C-section. He said he saw a flicker of a heartbeat. And so we went and within eight, within eight minutes from that decision, my son was born and I was not awake for any of it. I was put Um, I was put out under anesthesia and um, when I woke up, I remember being mostly alone. There was a nurse in the room, but it was in a strange room. It it felt like a closet, which I, you know, it was odd. And I remember thinking I was in a dream. And so I asked the nurse if I could see my husband and she obliged quickly. And when he came in, he just took my hand and he said, you know, we're not going to get to take him home. And I didn't know what he meant necessarily at that time. I was really hopeful that that meant there was hope, right? There was a chance or, you know, I wasn't, I just wasn't sure. Right. Well, <clears throat> came to it and what had happened is I'd experienced a complete 
placental abruption mm-hmm. at exactly 39 weeks. And, you know, our our son just didn't have access to oxygen for a fair amount of time because it happened at home, right? And they did the C-section. They did everything as quickly as possible. They actually successfully resuscitated him and then said, you know, we he has as long as, you know, he's he's willing to fight and he's willing to give you, but but really he's he's not going to make it. He's just every test, every effort, he's not going to make it. So we knew that he he was he was going to die there that day. We didn't know when, we didn't know what it would look like, what it would be like, but so we had just under 13 hours with him. So 13 hours to let some of our family meet him, to you know, just take in every moment that we possibly could and hold him, kiss him, love on him. And then eventually, you know, about 10 o'clock that evening, he took his last breath within our arms and that was it. And, you know, it's when I tell this story sometimes, I think it sounds so gentle and soft and, you know, but I think that's so different from from the way that that we were feeling internally about it. You know, I think there's a lot of great care in that in that space, right? The nurses, the physicians that are there, there's so much great tender care, but inside, I mean, it's it's turmoil, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's my, uh, my wonder, like how are you actually doing? Yeah, so you know, the weeks that followed, the the days, the weeks, the months, this, it was rough, right? It was rough and it was all very, you know, well, whatever you're feeling is okay. It's normal. You're going to go through these phases of grief, but but you'll be in and out of those, and then eventually you'll be better, and it'll all you'll be you'll be fine, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And that was just felt like such misguided mm-hmm. misguided advice, you know, because I think in my mind I was I was confused. I was in my mind I was very confused because. I'm looking at it like this is the 21st century, right? How how is this happening exactly? You know, and they even even in the hospital they would say this never happens. This never happens. They said that. Mm-hmm. Oh, said we are so sorry. This never happens. No, and I, I don't say that either. And I just I was like, well, why me though? Right. Why 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 did it happen to me? What did I do? You know. So I immediately started to blame myself, and I remember thinking. Well, there must be a reason, right? There, you know, because that was another thing that people used to say. Well, you know, there's always a reason for everything that happens. And I took that that the reason was I was being punished. Mm. I was being punished for some mistake or something I'd done at somewhere in my life. And I, I couldn't figure out what it was, but I must have done something horrible to deserve this. So I'm racking my mind trying to think of all the reasons that this is my fault, right? right? And and this is my penance, right? And at the time, you know, I wish I would have had, uh, you know, someone to kind of speak these words to out loud at that time. I, I should have been journaling, you know, and kind of writing these things down because I think it'd be amazing to go back, you know, and look at that five years later and say, wow, you know, that's what a different mindset because I think you would gain so much clarity from that. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah, I am, I mean, I'm thinking for... mm, Right. It's similar to how you were saying, like, it looked so peaceful on the outside, um, but there was the turmoil happening inside. If I can, for a moment, just go back to mm-hmm. you finding out um, that your son was going to pass. Like, what happens in that moment? I felt like, he said, you know, when they came in the NICU, you know, physician came in and said, this is what we did. This is, these are the tests that we've done. This is all the stuff, right? Like we've tried this and this and this, and this is the results. And, you know, in the end, this is your decision, right? Whether to, for back of, lack of a better phrase, you know, pull the cord, you know, that this is the outcome. It's the same, you know, and I, as if my blood hadn't already literally drained from my body, I felt like I just, it's like I felt everything mm-hmm. drop out, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, the the actual physical, <laughs> I know physically my heart did not sink, but it felt like physically things shifted. It felt like, mm-hmm. and I, I can only assume that it's um, nerve endings, right? That are, that are firing and, you know, that are in response to what your brain is feeling or what you're, what you're feeling and and what your brain is processing. But I felt it. I felt it when they said it. And I was stuck between wanting to cry and, and, you know, tears streaming down my face and wanting to stay strong. Right. And, and, and be that person that, well, well, she handled it real well. Right. She, she really toughed that one out. You know, she's so strong and I wanted to be that strong person, you know, Mm -hmm. not for me. Right. I didn't want to, it wasn't for me, but I, I, I just wanted, I didn't want to cause problems. Right. I wanted to be a good patient. I wanted to be a good mom, a good wife, a good daughter, right? I wanted to do all the right things, make sure everyone else got to hold my baby, you know, and, and that I was, again, not causing not causing any problems, right? And so on the outside, that's that's how like that that vision, right, that I was trying to create, but on the inside, I was screaming. Mm-hmm. I I wanted to throw things, right? Course, I yeah. I wanted to, you know, scream at every person who walked in the room. I wanted everything to stop. I wanted them to shut the lights off. I wanted traffic to stop. I was angry at traffic (laughs) happening outside, (laughs) you know, because Mm -hmm. my world stopped. Mine stopped and it felt like everything else just kept going. Mm -hmm. And it, it felt so unnatural. That everything else 
is just continuing to go. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I just kept thinking, well, if they knew, if they knew this is what was happening right now, everything would stop. Mm-hmm. Everything would stop. You know, I mean, we are the centers of our own universe, right? <laughs> so, but, it, and that's just, that's how I felt in that moment, right? I mean, mm-hmm. in the hospital, those first few days, it was, I, I got to imagine, you know, just, just some shock, you know? Um, right. Like um, n- a numb feeling or a just like feeling everything kind of a. Or both. I would say more numb. I would say mm-hmm. more numb because I don't think the reality set in until, you know, days later, of mm-hmm. course, you know, you go home, but we were so lucky to have family and friends around that were incredibly yeah. supportive. Right. But they start to go home, right. They leave and they, they get back to, they need to get back to doing what they're doing. And then it's just you, right. And you're there and you're supposed to be parenting and you're not. And, then it really sets in. And I think when my husband went back to work, mm. I I remember one morning actually feeling the feelings. And it was like, this is it. This, this is the bottom, right? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is the moment. And so I just remember thinking, you know, yeah, this, this is it. And I, I will never forget, I laid down on the floor in front of my fireplace where I had his photo and I just cried and I screamed and I was angry and I was finally let all of those feelings out that I was feeling and it it was not not attractive. <laughs> it was not a good look, right? Um, but I, I just, it was real and I scared myself. I scared myself with this reaction because I had never felt this way. I had never endured anything like this in my life. And, you know, I'm so grateful. I think I do when people say things happen, right. Or for a reason or however you want to um, address that randomly, my husband called me from work that day and he hadn't, this wasn't his first day back. He doesn't call me from work. He's busy. And he called me right in this moment and just said, Hey, I just wanted to check in on you. I just had this feeling and I wanted to check in on you. And I'm just like, and it was the one thing that pulled me up off the floor. Mm. It pulled me up off the floor and got me to keep going. Right. Even just throughout that day for that hour. Right. I made it through another hour mm-hmm. because of that one phone call, that one thing that helped, right. You need to see the light again, you know, yeah. when you're just so dark and you're, you're in that place. And so. Right. And it's like all consuming internally. Like there's, there's nothing else happening. There was nothing else happening, mm-hmm. nothing else happening. And I, I haven't been in that spot again since. And so, so I do consider it in some ways rock bottom, but then it turns out there's, there's different, <laughs> there's different versions of that. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, I can almost giggle about it now, you know, but, but really it's, the last five years have just been sprinkled and littered with different moments and different experiences that, that really, I mean, I, I, I don't know which one is, I wouldn't say one is worse or better, or it's just different, you know, it's just different. Right. So the, I mean, this is, what you're talking about, your experience is like very, very close to 
the time that he passed and you're postpartum mm-hmm. and, and still I'm having to physically recover, let alone mentally, emotionally to cope and deal with all that has happened. So out, outside of that immediate intensity, um, what would you say about, mm, for lack of a better word, like recovery and healing? What's that process? And, you know, how long does, again, in air quotes, like how long does that take? Yeah. Well, we know that's, that's a lifelong process, right? So that's, that's an easy answer, right? Right. How long does it take? Grief lasts as long as love lasts, right? And so I think, you know, you could start to identify moments, moments that, that were pivotal and change, you know, I think at some point I had to go back to work. Right. And, and, you know, so about four months after I I went back to work and, you know, dipped my toe in that water, started out part-time, which I think I would recommend to anyone if you can, if you can make that happen, you know, and, you know, I, I had conversations, very direct conversations with my superiors at my office and just said, look, like, this is what I need. I, I'm going to need some space, but I need you to not be afraid to talk to me for number one. Mm. For number two, sometimes I'm going to need to just go in this conference room and cry. (laughs) I don't need you to check on me. I'll be okay. But I'm just, I might just start crying and and that's okay. And no one has to be afraid of me Mm -hmm. (laughs) or afraid of that. Right. And, And so, and the third thing is, you know, partially with, you know, don't be afraid to bring it up. Don't be afraid to bring up my son because, I might cry. I probably will. If you bring him up, I will. But but it's not because you brought him up. Because I'm always on the edge of tears at this stage, right? I'm always about to cry. So it could happen regardless of anything you say or don't say. Right. And so this this really was my first bit in, you know, practicing how I was going to be and function in public as, as an adult human woman that has a job and another child at home and friends and mm-hmm. colleagues, right? I still have to be that person if I want, right? Or if some version of that person, you you know, and, and so it was practice. It just took practice. And slowly I built up this, you know, almost an armor or a, a muscle, right? that helped protect me and help protect, you know, my heart for, for those moments, because, because we know that there are people that, that just maybe aren't going to get it or, or don't want to talk about it. And, and that's okay, mm-hmm. but I have to be able to protect myself from that situation. So I don't let it pull me down mm-hmm. and pull me into a place that I've already grown from. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I don't need their, understanding approval acceptance about the way that I'm grieving or the way that I'm feeling mm-hmm. in order to feel whole right in order to feel like I'm I'm growing and I'm I'm filling my heart back up right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I think one of the hardest things though was a lot of behaviors that changed for me and onset of new behaviors um that were that were confusing and at the time I really didn't get it and specifically I remember I went for a walk with a friend and she had uh, come to visit me and I said let's just 
let's go for a walk so I can clear my head a slow walk because I'm recovering from a C-section, right? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. very slow walk, but a walk. And we are walking and all of a sudden this dog barks and not a loud dog, not even close to us. I jumped so far and so far off the path that I bumped into my friend and I, I think I screamed out loud and just, you know, kind of grabbed my, my arms and myself and it, and then my heart was just racing and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And my friend looked at me, she's like, are you okay? And I said, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know what that was. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not afraid of dogs, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Again, adult woman, not afraid of dogs. Um, And I, I, I couldn't understand what, what had just happened it was the strangest thing you know and I was like okay that that was different but that was weird I said I'm just on edge I'm just on edge it's okay Mm -hmm. this is why we're walking right this is why we're walking but it proceed walking did become a really big part of my my healing I, I enjoy walks I think it's grounding I think it's good to be in nature but I kept running into this same problem So I started to avoid areas that I knew had dogs, that I knew might bark, but even a bird, a bird would be in my path. And I would immediately start thinking this bird is going to attack me. Mm. It's going to attack me. And, and then I would be out here by myself. And then they're going to find this woman attacked by this bird. (laughs) And my brain would just start going into these spirals of really ridiculous, you know, ridiculous things that are not going to happen. But that's where my head was at. You know, a grasshopper or a cricket would jump up and I would I would scream and I would I would run the other way. Mm-hmm. And I I couldn't stand loud noises. Right. Anything loud or a sharp noise, I was having a lot of trouble with. And the place that I worked actually was a is a furniture, uh, commercial furniture company. Mm-hmm. And so they were always installing new furniture in in our showroom and what have you. And Oh, when they started with the drills and the hammer, I couldn't, I had to leave. I had to leave. I couldn't, I couldn't take it. And it made no sense. Mm-hmm. It made absolutely right, no sense. This is all new to you. Like you've mm-hmm. never experienced this before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this continued, I mean, for months, months and months and months. And it started to soften a little bit, but then even years later, I realized I was still having these reactions, these ridiculous reactions to loud noises. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, creating these scenarios in my head where myself, my whole rest of my family dies for whatever reason, you know, and it was, it just did not make sense. And it, this was, you know, I, I knew I'd had some issues with anxiety in the past, right? Or, you know, but nothing, nothing too crazy. And so finally I went to go see someone and talk to them through some of this stuff. And it became a therapist. Yes. And she just looked at me and she said, well, that's, that's post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. She said, you're having these reactions to something that you know in your brain aren't a big deal, but your brain hasn't figured it out, right? I, I wish I could explain it as well as they do. And maybe you could, right? I mean, but I think it made sense when she said it and when she validated what was happening and the feelings and identified it and could call it something and give me tools to help 
big, not fix it necessarily, but the tools to help manage it, right? And to to keep managing my life and keep growing and keep building on the healing that I'd already done. Mm-hmm. But because I felt like I was stuck and For I didn't sure. know why. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is a feeling that comes with PTSD. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that like and PTSD trauma um can show up for anybody um in multiple ways, but um in particular I I assume that you're talking about uh, and your therapist helped you connect it to the the trauma of the the birth and and the loss of your son. Right. Mhm. Yeah. Because I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, just understanding that, you know, life can be taken so quickly. Right. I mean, and, and you just, you don't see it coming and that's just the reality of it. And I, I, I knew that, right. We all know that, but until you, I think experience it and it, because it happens so quick, mm-hmm. it's like my life was this certain way. And then within an hour, it was different. Right. And it, it it'll, will be different forever right. because now I truly do look at my life. And I think a lot of other parents, last parents I've talked to feel this way that you look at your life in, in before and after mm-hmm. it's before your child died. And then after there are two very clear parts and that's just how we live now. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I used to look at photos, you know, and just say, Oh yeah, I was pregnant with Henry then. Oh yeah. That was, that was, before Henry, yep, that's a real smile. <laughs> and the year following, oh yeah, that's that's the after Henry smile. That that one's not real, you know. Oh, yeah, like you're just kind of showing up, forcing a, a smile. For, yep. Mm-hmm. I could see it, mm-hmm. and I could see it. It was interesting because I also found something else I did after. Um, you know, we were with family and doing whatever. You know, in that year following, when we take a family photo, when anyone take, would take a photo of me, I just I unfocused my eyes and pretended like I wasn't there. (laughs) And I just, I'm like, I just have to pretend like I'm not here and this isn't happening. And and I don't do that anymore, but it was an interesting response Mm -hmm. that, that just felt safer. I don't know. Right. Yeah, for sure. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, in, in terms of the way trauma impacts people and PTSD works is it's all, it might be strange and feel weird to you, but it's all in like the effort to protect you from a, b- a bad thing happening again. You're, like your brain is over perceiving all of these threats. And so like you're describing, even being in in a room of, of people, even if you know them, doesn't, doesn't matter. Like if that's where you're feeling, if that's what you're feeling, then that's what you're feeling. And your brain just does what it needs to do until it learns mm-hmm. that things are safe. Right. Until it learns. And because I remember my therapist saying, you know, like, hey, you're safe right now. Right now you are safe. And I looked at her, I'm like, I know. What do you mean? I know I'm safe. But she's like, your front brain knows you're safe, right? <laughs> but the other part doesn't. You know, the the trauma, you know, part is is not is not back yet. It's not it's not healed. And that made so much sense and was was really helpful. You know, to because I, you know, you're safe. You're safe. I know I'm safe. Like, what are you talking about? You know, and then that was always my response. I know the dog is not going to get me, right? Mm-hmm. Logic. It's about. <laughs> that's not about that. I mm-hmm. still had this feeling completely coursed through my whole body. You know, it mm-hmm. felt like 
when these things would happen, I would feel almost an electric shock through my mm -hmm. whole body. You know, when you get really scared, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and in that moment, like a car accident or you're, you think someone might hit you and you scream yeah. and, yeah. you know, that feeling all the time, multiple times a day. And it, so it was such a lot. And I think I got to the point where I didn't want to be awake mm -hmm. anymore I because I, it was safer to sleep because it was exhausting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think my mind was so tired. And okay. so I just, I wanted to sleep a lot and I wanted to just check out, you know, mm -hmm. and not, not be present, certainly not be present with my friends or a friend group. You know, I just yeah couldn't, you know, that just seemed hard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I know you've, you've alluded to it a couple of different times that things that were upsetting to you at that time aren't as much now. So it's clear that you've, you know, had some healing along the way. And and within that, you, it sounds like you've found, well, I don't know how to say it. Within that, you've started to help other people. Um, how, how do you, how do you know when you're okay enough to do that? And, and how did, how did that come to you? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder that still. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a tricky um, and loaded question. <laughs> how do you know that you are doctor enough to help other people? Right. You know, like exactly. we can always learn more, right? Sure. There's always space to learn more and do things better. But I was able to pinpoint um, about seven, eight months out, I was able to pinpoint a handful of things that were incredibly helpful that people did for me mm -hmm. right and a handful of thing, things that I wished I would have had that would have been really great you know yeah. and so I just sat there and I was like gosh what if what if I could make this better for someone else like yeah. what if what if what if there's there's something that we can do for these families because mm -hmm. you know up until then I didn't think this was happening at the rate that it is right, right. 24,000 stillbirths in the U.S. a year you know that's mm -hmm. crazy I, I had no idea and so I just, I thought there had to be more. And so I really just set out to create, you know, collections of items that even just healing items that that were useful to me. And is there a way that I can gift these to other families going through this after I do? Mm -hmm. It's a simple question, right? Okay, yeah. And so I didn't feel like I had to be super far along or or healed or in a good place mentally to be able to pull that together, right? It started truly as a craft project. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah, like for some people, um, and yes, it was a, a loaded question, but for, for some people, the healing, the, that part, what you're describing of like doing for others and learning and, and is part of the healing. You don't mm -hmm. have to feel a hundred percent better to help other people. No, right. at, at all. Yeah. Uh, but it is, can really uh, help to know that you're helping someone else. It did. That was a big part of my healing. I mean, and I, <laughs> people, you know, will say, oh, that's so generous. That's so thoughtful of you. And sure. But it is selfish of me in a way because it's healing for me. It makes mm -hmm. me feel better. It makes me feel like my son's proud of me right and it just it feels like i'm doing something good with something bad and that helps you know that yeah. that helps you know helps mama heart oh yeah <laughs> so yeah, you know absolutely. or you know they're it's not unlike you know man 
if your your living child does something, you know, really frustrating or hard, you know, but then they come and give you the biggest hug and tell you you're the best mommy ever. And they're like, oh, that filled me right back up. Look at that. <laughs> you know, that filled my cup right back up. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, finding a way to help others, you know, in, in whatever capacity that is, um, it helps. It fills up that, that, those dark spots, those holes, you know, even if, even if it's just for a little while, you know. Right. For sure. And I, I know, you know, a lot of people describe, um, the, like post loss life feeling very lonely, um, mm-hmm. and isolating, um, in many ways. So like what you're describing is uh, of doing things for other people. Um, I'm sure had a huge effect letting them know they're not alone. It did. I mean, I think that was, you know, and I even say I had great family and friends, right? But not everyone does, mm-hmm. right? Not everyone is in a supportive situation. And even if you are, you can still feel isolated, right? It. That's just, that's the nature of it. That's yeah. the nature of child loss, right? You're going to feel isolated because you're going to feel like you can't possibly connect with anyone else about how horrible you feel, right? How just mm-hmm devastated you are because no matter what story you know what your story is like what your loss is whether it was you know you lost um your child at 39 weeks like i did or you lost your child at 12 weeks or your child died from SIDS, right whatever it is that thing is the worst thing that's happened to you right and so And so it makes sense that you feel like no one else can understand just how bad this is, Mm -hmm. except maybe another lost parent, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's so important to bring awareness to it so that people can find one another, right? So these parents can start to find one another because once that happened, right, I start helping other parents, right, and and connecting them with these gifts, um, a light went on. Right. And it was like, oh, just like that time when my husband called me in in the throes of a a rough spot. Right. Mm -hmm. A light came on again and helped me see that there's a way through this. Mm -hmm. And it's by connecting with others. It's by finding this community. Right. Mm -hmm. And and leaning on them and then and then branching out and making the community bigger because there's so many. Right. There's so many. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what what happened for you from that point in terms of um, growing this community and the work that you started to do? Yeah, so once um, I talk about building that community, and once you start doing that, you know, we're like looking at each other going, how, what else? I mean, should we get together? Should we do a thing? Should we get together and do a thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to be able to laugh again, right, it's going to, it's going to be with you, mm-hmm. right? You're you know, because you're worried about everything from, is someone going to judge me because I'm laughing? Am I like not sad enough? You know, right, I mean, right. there's all these thoughts that go in your head. And so being able to have the, those conversations with those people who are like, yeah, how was that for you? What was funny? Do you remember? You know, mm-hmm. and um, it's like, yeah, we should get together. We should do some things. So we started doing events and things like, uh, hand lettering classes or watercoloring classes, uh, floral workshops, things where we could keep our hands busy, right? But also organically find connection and support. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
I'm all for, you know, any kind of support anyone needs, whether it's one-on-one counseling, whether it's group therapy, that's all great. However, I just find that the friends that we meet that are the greatest friends, we naturally have connected with in some way, right? And so creating these organic experiences for these parents to keep their hands busy, do it in honor of their children, and do it alongside other parents who are feeling a lot like you are. And then also reminding them that like, hey, you lost your child a year before I did and you're still surviving. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could do, right? Mm-hmm. And and that keeps keeps you going. And so if you came into these that we started hosting these events and um and then even a, a mother's retreat was formed. And so, you know, it's like, what do we need? What do moms need? We need to get away. Mm-hmm. We need to get away. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to honor our children. Mm-hmm. And, and just step back from our, our busy work and family lives that we're dealing with. And so retreats were a big part of that. And so everything just kept growing, you know, just the need and then the support and then what we could offer, right? It, it was just a response to, to the need. Mm-hmm. And so it was really easy, you know, to say, well, what would I like? What would be, what would be nice for me? What what, what, again, do I wish would have already been in place when this happened to me right. four years ago, three years ago? We know wherever I'm at, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then how do we continue to support those folks now? How do I how do I support someone who's me, you know, who's five years out? You know, in what ways do I still need support? And, and what does that look like? You know, it's right. different. It's different. So, right. And, you know, to that point, there's, there's a lot of, I I don't know if this was your experience, but what I've heard from a lot of people is that, you know, after a certain amount of time, after the loss happens, like people start to trail off and then expect you to be fine, Um, expect you to, that that everything's okay, and that you've whatever, Um, but they Mm -hmm. still, it's interesting, they like, there's still a lot of awkwardness around from other oh, yeah. people um, around, you know, do I say something? So it's much easier to assume that you're fine and that you're not affected a year later, two years later, five years later, or whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard for people to grasp the, who haven't experienced it, uh, how, what, what the grief feels like over time. Right. And it, yeah, because... Yeah, and you never know when it's going to hit you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I was at a with my with my family at a uh, some kind of old timey town thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're walking through, and you're looking at the old barber shop and all this stuff. And I remember getting back to the car and just bursting into tears. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "What is this? Where is this mm-hmm. coming from?" Mm-hmm. And it was simply the thought that. My family at that moment should have looked different. Mm-hmm. My family should have looked different. This experience should have been different. And it hit me. It just hit me really hard. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't necessarily ready for it. Mm-hmm. But I let myself cry. I let myself get upset, you know, and feel those feelings. And then since I allowed it, I was able to move through it mm-hmm. and then go on with the rest of my day and just honoring that grief, honoring that moment, you know, trying not to shove it down so I don't make anyone uncomfortable, right. <laughs> you know, uh, which I'm sure it did. <laughs> but, you know, 
I've gotten really good about that. <laughs> Just really comfortable making others uncomfortable. But <laughs> I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Right. But but when you I think when you can actually explain your your thoughts and your feelings on it, you know, and say, I'm sad. That doesn't mean you have to be sad right now. I'm mm-hmm. just really sad because I just pictured my life differently. Mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time with it in this moment. I'll be fine mm-hmm. in like a little bit, but just like be gentle with me if you don't mind, okay. you know? Yeah. And it's as simple as that, right? And that can be hard to say, but if you practice it, you know, maybe, maybe you will be able to because we do as a society, even I, before I lost my child, I would say, I was not super comfortable with the idea of child loss, with the idea of anything uncomfortable, with death, grief, Mm -hmm. loss, any of it. Hard pass. No, thank you. You know? (laughs) And now I'm like, oh, here, I'll talk about it all day. Exactly. (laughs) You know? Right. Yeah. So I think think the more exposure we get to it, the more Mm -hmm. we, like, just in general, even folks who, if you haven't experienced a loss, you can be just a phenomenally better human by just honoring anyone's struggles, right? Honoring whatever it is they're going through. Maybe they lost their father or their mother or a grandparent or a sister or whatever it is, right? Honoring that that grief that they're holding and holding space for that, I think Mm -hmm. is so valuable. And we can come such a long way as a society if we do that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in the the work that you're doing now, the way that you're supporting people, I mean, you've, you've created a whole a uh, whole thing, um, a whole platform, a, a whole yeah. way to support. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So Haven is a nonprofit and uh, we have been shipping out healing gifts since the end of 2017. So those are the gifts I mentioned that we, we send out and we have a uh, form on our website and um, parents, if they're experiencing loss, they're welcome to fill out that form and request one for themselves. We always encourage family members or friends to reach out on behalf of others for them because mm-hmm. sometimes they just don't have the strength to do it themselves. So mm-hmm. we ship those out actually to every state. We've shipped them to Canada at this point as well. And uh, I think the first year we shipped out like 18 of them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, we should do likely over 200 this year. Nice. Um, and that number has essentially doubled every year since we've started and since um, people have become aware of the organization. Um, we do hold an annual remembrance event in October. This year, it's um, actually going to coincide with Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day, which is October 15th. Um, so we always hold a special event for moms and dads. Um, that day where we participate in the wave of light, uh, it's the international wave of light. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we can link that as well. Mm-hmm. And then most recently, we have launched a podcast platform called Landscape of Loss. So on this podcast, I am actually the host mm-hmm. and we are simply sharing stories of um sharing stories of loss and sharing perspectives about surviving grief. So we're talking to parents who are willing to share their child's stories, not unlike what I just did and trying to get that information out there so that they feel validated and, you know, reminds them and everyone that they love that their child existed, right? Because as parents, we want to talk about our kids, whether or not they're alive or not, right? (laughs) We love talking about our kids. They're awesome, right? (laughs) But even if they're not here, I still, I still love my son so much. And I think 
he's beautiful and he's wonderful and you know a light a true true light in my life right and i want to share that with folks you know and so we're sharing those stories um parents are coming on and sharing those stories and then um what we're also doing is we're bringing in providers we're bringing in professionals in the field and we're getting stories from them about how loss impacts them about um tips and perspectives on grief, right? Um, talking to counselors, funeral directors, physicians, nurses, uh, bereavement photographers. I mean, there's so many people, right, that are impacted by loss. And so we can create just this intersection of information and have it be essentially, I'm, I'm going to use the word selfishly again, um, a resource that I wished I would have had, right? If I could have looked at and said, oh my gosh, Look, there's a a podcast episode about lactation after loss. Like, Mm oh, I didn't have any of that information. That would have been amazing, you know. And so we're we're putting that resource out there. Again, podcasts are great. They're free to listen. You know, you can listen to them anywhere. You can scroll through and see what episode makes sense for you or you connect with. And so we've been doing that since April. We have 13 live episodes and I'm very proud of them. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad to hear that you're doing that and you should be proud. It's it's um un, it's unnecessary. It like the the there's so much power in the storytelling that comes comes out for the person telling the story but for those who are listening who can connect on some level. It might not be every single aspect, but right. yeah. certainly might be able to connect to parts of it and get the resources and get the information cuz that I mean Right. The more you learn, I don't know if this was your experience, but for a lot of people anyways, the more you learn about it, the less blame you put on yourself for mm-hmm. guilt or shame or whatever it is. Mm. So yeah, we all need that. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. 
So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. We do. And I mean, I'll tell other parents, you know, they'll say, oh, I just feel guilty. I'm like, it's not your fault. This is absolutely not your fault. But I need to be able to tell myself that too. Mm-hmm. And the more practice I get telling other people it's not their fault, the more practice that is telling myself, right? Mm-hmm. So That's fantastic. Uh, in, in terms of stuff that you want to share about the platform you have and the work that you're doing, did that kind of encapsulate yeah. what you want? Okay. Mm-hmm. Would it be okay with you then if we come back around um, a little bit just to mm-hmm. like, you know, things that you, if, if somebody is in the, in the middle of, of their grief and, and dealing with the, the overwhelm. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Things that you could say to them or hope and hope is hard to give, but, um, well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like things you would like to say to someone who's going through it. You know, I can look at, you know, my grief experience and my my mourning experience now from an outside lens, right? And look back on it and just, you know, see uh, not necessarily what pitfalls or missteps, but just spots, right? Spots that were really difficult and spots that maybe I could have used a little bit of guidance through. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in the throes, right? In, in that that dark, difficult time, maybe it's in that first year, right? And and just simple things like going to Target sound real hard, right? And mm-hmm. so there's two schools of thought on that, right? One is, yeah, go, just go rip that bandit off. You need to go, you need to go do the things and you'll feel better once you get it done and they get the first one out of the way. The other school of thought is, hey, you know what? We have like order delivery now mm-hmm. <laughs> everywhere. Right. Why don't you just order it and just save yourself from that? Now, both things are true in a certain capacity, right? Because it is a step that you are going to have to overcome at some point. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are not feeling like you are up to that right now, maybe you should just order your groceries online or whatever it is, right? And, and And save yourself from seeing the inevitable mom with babies in the cart, you know, uh, other crying children, pregnant women, things that are, you know, are going to be triggering, right? Those are the things you just, you know, it's going to be problematic. Mm -hmm. And so don't try to be, I just don't think you should try to be a hero. You know, I think you should keep yourself in mind and make sure that you are being kind to you right now, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you need to heal you. Otherwise you are not going to be able to be there for anyone, whether it's the rest of your family, whether it's future children, whether it's friends, you need to focus on you and and feel okay about feeling a little selfish and and take that time. You know, I think there were even moments when I felt like I wanted to get back into shape for some reason, mm-hmm. <laughs> post C-section. Like what, what is that proving? <laughs> Who am I kidding? You know? Right, and so, right. and I don't, I don't know why, you know, that was something that I was pushing onto myself, right? There wasn't a certain person pushing that on me. That was a me on me thing. And so watch out for those, right? Watch out for you being your own worst critic. Mm-hmm. Because, right, she can be kind of a jerk, you know? <laughs> she sure can. <laughs> right? I mean, talk to yourself the way you would talk to your friend. And I think if you can do that every day and remind yourself, I'm going to talk to you myself, just like I would talk to my best friend or my sister or someone else you care and love about, right? right? Yeah. So be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself because 
I'm not saying no one else will be, but but you need to be your number one support and your number one advocate needs to be you. Mm-hmm. It really does. If you can pull muster together any type of strength, do that for yourself because you will not be sorry. You will not be sorry that you did it. And take that time. Take the time you need. Sit down with a photo of your child or a thing that reminds you of them. Go to the dark place. It's okay. You can set grief appointments, mm-hmm. right? You can set those appointments and say, you know what? Today, this afternoon, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to rock in this rocking chair. I'm going to hold this blanket. I'm going to look at the crib. I'm going to look at photos. I'm going to do whatever it is. Whatever feels good. Listen to that song. Do those things. Set that appointment because you know you have it then. You know you have it Mm -hmm. to go back to. It's like a safety net, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can go and you can do that. And then once that's done, you say, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. And I'm going to leave this space, right? And then I know that I can visit it again mm-hmm. when I need to. And mm-hmm. and whether that's in an hour, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, in those early days, it might be in one hour, but it might be in a week, right? Mm-hmm. Or in a month, depending mm-hmm. on where you're at. And so taking those, taking those liberties, right, for yourself, I think are so important. And then, you know, something I did is I did put a screensaver on my phone, which I was scrolling through old photos the other day and I found, and I am going to do a terrible job at saying what this quote was, (laughs) but it was so great because it basically just said, uh, you today, you don't feel great, but keep going because eventually, eventually, if you keep going, there will be a day that feels better. You will feel better than this. Mm -hmm. And every time I looked at my phone, my screensaver, I was reminded will feel better than this. You will. You will. And right. I'm, I'm so glad you're, you're bringing that in um, and then speaking to it too, because like the, the intensity of grief feels like you'll never feel better again. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's really hard for your, for that, those big, big feeling to have the big feelings. And like you were saying that front part of your brain to be like, okay, you'll be fine uh, because it's all <laughs> encompassing you that that mm-hmm. it just feels like the new truth yeah it takes uh, over right right it takes over and so yeah if you can try to start taking back some control take back little bits little bits at a time take that control back it doesn't mean you're forgetting it does not mean you're forgetting your child right. not at all but you know, you need, you need to take care of you or you can't take care of anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you certainly can't, you know, I call it parenting my child that's in heaven. Right. But I can't do that if I'm not functioning, you know? And so it's, it's something to think about. And, but I will say also, you know, if, if you have a, you know, a friend, a sister, um, a partner, you know, that is, is going through, through these motions, you know, keep it, please keep an eye on them, making sure, right. Postpartum depression is real. Right. And especially when you toss grief in the mix and, yes. you know, keeping an eye on changes in behavior, um, you know, if, if they stop talking really are, are not willing to open up, know when to get additional and professional support. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and encourage that because we just, we can't say that enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sure. yeah, we need to encourage mental health um, professional support throughout all of motherhood. Right. <laughs> and for anyone. Right. So, right. so I, I'm definitely the first one to, you know, <laughs> sign up for that. And, and I will say a lot of 
the insights and and tools that I've been able to gather and then pass on are, are things I learned through counseling, right? Mm-hmm. Things that that have helped me, mm-hmm. and I just want to be able to pass on the things that help me to other people. Right, right. Thank you, and thank you for doing that and sharing your story and um, creating the platform and giving that love out to lost parents. Well, thank you. Thank you for also sharing our stories and our platform and and taking time and space to honor, you know, the the children who didn't make it on, you know, through October. So um, I think that's so important, especially when we're talking about, you know, mom blogs out there, right? There's, there's lots of stuff out there, but you know, it can feel like for lost parents, it can feel like your, your kids get forgotten and your situation gets forgotten. So mm-hmm. it means a lot when people honor and hold space for us. Great. I'm glad to do that. And I'm glad you're now doing that for other parents as well. Well, thank you. Mutual thanks here. <laughs> <laughs> If you'd like to get connected with Jen, please check out havenmidwest.org. You can also find her on Instagram and Facebook at Haven Midwest. And her podcast, Landscape of Loss, is available on all podcast platforms. As usual, if you know of somebody who could benefit from this resource or benefit from hearing this episode, please do share it with them. The more we can talk about this, the more we can reduce the stigma, the less lonely people will feel in their journey. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.